I'm now unmuted. Thank you. Thank you, Addie, for reading that. Sorry about that. Uh, I want to show you a photo of, uh, that I took a few weeks ago. It's of one of my kids and uh, what she's doing, and this is very important, what she's doing is she is staring at our, I guess that's like the internet box. I don't know what they're called. Uh, maybe someone can tell me in the chat, but it's where all the things get plugged into so that you can watch TV and get on the internet. And basically what had happened for hours and hours, because we live in a part of the city that this always happens, um, but uh, the internet went out, the Wi-Fi. Dad, the Wi-Fi is out. And so she's just sitting there staring at the box, waiting for the little light uh, to come back on. And my wife and I, who are on the couch watching this unfold, I mean, we we grew up in a time before the internet, so like we knew what to do. We, you know, we read a book, we talked, we, you know, made fun of our daughter who's staring at the box waiting for the light to come back on because for her, at this moment, at this time, was like the most important thing in her life. Like she couldn't get back to watching Sailor Moon videos fast enough. And so this was one of those really hilarious moments of like that realization of like, this really isn't that big of a deal. Like it'll come back on eventually. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that important in the big scheme of things. And that's just kind of how we felt at the time. And when I read this story in John's gospel about Jesus turning the water into wine at a wedding, um, most of the time when we think about the miracles of Jesus, we think about real needs of real people being met, like life-saving needs, the healing of the sick, the diseased, something tragic is in the works, etc. But here, the only tragedy is that the party is dying down. Now, some of you are like, that's a real tragedy, especially if you're an event planner. And the crisis that prompts this miracle is not someone's physical or emotional or mental desperation. It's simply that the bar is drying up. So it seems kind of humorous, if not like a little bit insignificant, uh, to the whole scheme of life, you know? If we dig a bit further, as miracles go, this is truly a miracle of extravagance or abundance. This is like over the top. Now, historians have done the math, and based on the information that John gives us in the story, Jesus restocked the bar with this miracle with enough to uh, fill over like 2,000 wine glasses. So again, this is no small band-aid for the moment. This is a miracle of over-the-top abundance. Maybe this is why Jesus was a little hesitant with his mom. She's like, hey, solve the problem. And he's like, not right now. This is not my time. I've done enough weddings to know, like, if you do a really good one, you're just going to get asked to do a lot of weddings. So maybe Jesus is worried about that whole, like, on-the-street conversation about you have got to get Jesus to DJ your wedding. So I don't know if that's what's going on or not. So the question for us is, what is this story even about? And like, what might we learn uh, from this story? A couple of things here at the beginning. When the gospel writers uh, put these stories of Jesus to paper, they weren't doing so primarily to introduce people to the person of Jesus. The assumption uh, was that people already knew about Jesus and even knew about these stories to some uh, degree. It's no secret that stories and even writings about Jesus had already been circulating 
at this time. But the gospel writers put these stories to paper, uh, not just to tell us about the life of Jesus, and this is the most important thing. They did so as a way to give meaning to his life, to help us see what the teachings mean, what his miracles mean. It's not just simply a biography. It's also a theology so that we can learn not just what he did, but what it means. And of all the four gospel writers in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is really the most skilled, in my opinion, MIO, for the texting people, that the events of Jesus's life uh, had great meaning to them. And he's the most skilled of all the four, in my opinion, uh, of talking about these events and powerfully wrapping them uh, with the meaning. The first thing John does is he wraps the story in the language of resurrection and a closeness to God. Notice how the story begins. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana. Now, you don't have to be super versed in the Bible to catch the third day resurrection reference here at the beginning of the story. That's not hard to see on the third day there was a wedding in Cana. Additionally, uh, the language of the wedding and a wedding feast fills the stories of the Old and New Testament. One could argue, in fact, the Bible really begins with a wedding between the man and the woman, and it ends in the book of Revelation with this wedding between God uh, and humanity. And for the Hebrew people, the wedding feast um, fills the pages of the Bible in between those two stories. And for the Hebrew people, the wedding feast was a symbol of the coming salvation and restoration that God would bring to the world and to our lives. Again, in the final scenes of the book of Revelation, what we get is a wedding ceremony between God uh, and humanity, uh, the coming of renewal and salvation to the world and of a closeness between God and humanity. This is why weddings and marriages are a sacrament in the church, because they point to something beyond themselves. In Revelation 21, uh, it says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming uh, down uh, out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, or the dwelling place of God, is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be uh, his people. So it's this imagery of closeness with God, but also a coming renewal, a coming salvation. Uh, and there's also in the story the way that Jesus does the miracle. John gives us this great detail. Now there were six stone jars set there for the Jewish custom of purification. Now the presumption is that these jars stood there empty and dried out. Jesus says to the people working the wedding, fill the jars with water. Fill up the jars with water. Again, John is pointing out details of the event that are clues for us as to what this story means. The jars themselves were literally 
jars that had a religious function. They're based in some of the law codes and uh, purity codes of ancient Israel. These are used for washings and ceremonial cleansings. The jars are literally part of the religious system. Uh, but we, we see in the story that they stand there at the wedding empty, that these jars uh, are empty and these practices, perhaps this is what John wants us to see, that these practices have been ignored or left aside, that they have dried up. They stand here in the story as pictures of those earthen things we all have in our lives to help us connect with and stay close to God. And like these stone jars here at this wedding, we also live through times and seasons when our methods of faith stand empty. Um, You know, that new Bible you bought just didn't do it for you, (laughs) you know, or the new church that you tried out, it was good for a while, or the you tried this class or that small group or this video series or that podcast, like the list is endless. And, and since really the God of our age is information, uh, we just keep piling on information and eventually it runs dry. We're still left standing there, sometimes empty and dried out. I was at the guitar shop, Maple Street, ding, little plug. Uh, years ago, my son was in a guitar lesson and I was hanging out in the lobby talking to the staff and they carried magazines, and one of the magazines, it just sounds fake, but one of the magazines is Acoustic Guitar, uh, riveting magazine. Lots of wood, lots of strings, lots of pictures. But there was an article in there, an interview with Jacob Dylan. Jacob Dylan is the son of Bob Dylan, lead singer of the Wallflowers, another plug for a great late 90s, early 2000s band. Um, but in the article, he made this statement about buying a new new guitar and getting rid of the old ones, simply saying that there just weren't any new songs in that old guitar. We've all been there when it comes to our faith. Think about those times and seasons in your life when your friendship with God seemed distant or dried up or even empty. There's no new news in that old Bible. I need a new one. I need a new journal. I need to sit in a different place. I need to attend a different church. We've all gone through those seasons. This is really the normal path of our lives. We struggle to see and feel God's presence so often, and sometimes we just try new things, and sometimes we simply let the old things dry up and become furniture or relics of our faith's past. Fill the jars with water, Jesus said. Don't miss what John is pointing out to us here. Something new, John is saying, something new inside of something old. New wine created in old containers. Renewable content. Not a replacement, but a refurbishment of something. One of the most remarkable things about this story is that John points out at the very end that this was the first of Jesus's signs. Now, John never uses the word miracle in his gospel. These are miracles, by the way. He's not denying that. But he makes a, he makes a literary choice to never call them miracles and instead call them signs. Because signs point to something ahead. They take us to places not yet seen. And this was according to John, 
the inaugural sign, the first sign of Jesus. John wants us to count, by the way. There are seven signs in John's gospel, a very biblical number that leads to the idea and the hope and the reality of rest. And the word John uses for first uh, is the Greek word that means beginning or more technically the ground of something. In other words, this sign that Jesus performs, this turning the water into wine, this filling of old jars that are empty and dried up with new wine, the, the best wine, by the way, uh, this sign that Jesus performs is a base camp for all that will come after in John's gospel. It is the grounding of all his subsequent signs and ministry. Renewal and resurrection are on the way. If you just turn ahead into the story, if you just flip the pages, it's it's all right there. The very next story is Jesus telling the religious leaders that he's in the temple, that he will tear it down and in three days rebuild it. Again, imagery of something new coming. In chapter three of John, he meets with Nicodemus at night. You know that famous story where we get the verse that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, all of that. Uh, the thing that really troubles Nicodemus is this idea of being reborn, of being born again. Like Nicodemus asks, how can you do that? How can you go again back into your mother's womb and be reborn? And so Jesus, uh, John shows us how Jesus is already talking about something new. In chapter four, we have the Samaritan woman at the well that Jesus really restores to her, her dignity and her worth And he uses this imagery of water and being thirsty. And so, I mean, this is all throughout John's gospel, this idea of renewal, this idea of something new inside of something old. And like the resurrection, something quite unexpected is about to take place at this wedding. Fill the jars with water. Now, we can read and return to this story time and again to be reminded of how God desires to breathe life into us, to refresh our souls and our faiths in those times and seasons when they stand there quite thirsty and dried up. We can also find in this story the miracle of God's renewing power in our lives, of God's ability to take what is empty and to pour new life into it. It is in John's gospel, by the way, that Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. I want to close with this quotation from biblical scholar uh, Gerard Sloyan. Great name. He says, there must be newness of life in the many places where Christians assemble if this story is not to be an idle winter's tale. And so this wedding feast where Jesus turns the water into wine and restores the party to its respectable level uh, is a story of renewal, even resurrection, and it is a sign of the coming hope and rest that we can find in God. 